The Golden Egg Trophy did not find its new home in Starkville. Goes back to Oxford for a second year in a row. Thoughts on that game and a regular season review. Let's get into it. This is episode 24 of the Better Than Average podcast. Better than average. You play football. Football? Oh, no. Juggernaut of a podcast. Better than average. It's like a radio show that's not on the radio. Coach, it's a great day for you, huh? Yeah, it's better than average, I'll tell you that. (laughs) When it's all said and done, a fourth place finish in the SEC West uh, this season. That's, uh, you know, maybe the best descriptor overall for the regular season. For State, finished better than a lot of people thought they would. And frankly, I guess overall, right in line with what a lot of people thought too. So it kind of depended on you know what your predictions were for the beginning of the year. Um, I think it's some of the other teams that were a little flip flop of what people thought you might see coming into the year with you know Arkansas finishing third in the West, one spot above State, Auburn and LSU down at the bottom. So, but State right there in the middle in the West. And, Decent year, not great, but uh, certainly not bad either. I want to remind you, this podcast is supported by, presented by, made possible by the folks at the Mississippi Land Bank. And if you're in North Mississippi, really all parts of North Mississippi, especially Highway 82 North, then anything land-related, I hope you will do your business with them or at least start there, you know, um, I can't speak highly enough of the people. I've gotten to know them over the years, not only in the home offices in Senatobia, but the other branch offices around, you know, the Tyler and the folks, the Mississippi Land Bank branch office in Starkville and Matthew and the guys in Tupelo. So I just, anything land related, buying or selling, certainly big farm land, which they understand the big business nature of, you know, big time farming. It's big spreadsheets, big loans. They understand all that. It's what they do. They they get it. But also recreational property, if you need a place to build that home, whatever. If it's land-related, go to Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Before I jump into the just kind of running down thoughts on the entire regular season, we all know the results now, so I think those are a little Less our thoughts on those are a little less hidden than others. Um, let's look back at the battle for the golden egg. It is not the egg bowl. It is the battle for the golden egg. And I do want to thank a friend of mine, Jared Thomas, a photographer. Y'all see Jared at the Mississippi State games. You just may not know it or not, <laughs> but he's Adam. You know, he's a photographer down on the sideline, and he uh, went through. He sent me the text, and I may. Uh, tweeted out there, he went back and researched and found the old news clippings from the 1920s and 30s that, well, I say the 20s and 30s, the, the 20s when it initially was the Golden Egg Trophy and a game for the Golden Egg and therefore the battle for the Golden Egg. And then later, what, in the 50s or 60s or whenever, well, maybe it was more recent than that, when some, and, but he sent me the clip anyway when some guy for the Clarion Ledger called it the egg bowl because you had teams weren't going to bowl games. And yeah, so it's the battle for the golden egg. All right. So we know the results of the game is a 10 point 31, 21 loss for state. And you outgain them. You had some games like that this year where you lose them, even though you outgain them. Um, but there were other key factors in the game that kind of flipped on state, you know, 
well, I came away from it. My, my overall thoughts were that even though the numbers were were pretty decent for both, I kind of felt like it was a game where both quarterbacks uh, came away thinking, "Yeah, I could you know we left some plays on the field." It, and they didn't have bad games by any stretch. Will Rogers was thirty-eight of fifty-eight. That's sixty-six percent. Goes for three thirty-six and a touchdown. But he still probably came away thinking, "Yeah, I left some plays on the field." Not to mention you had some very key drops, you know, uh, that that were obvious right there before a half that would have changed the momentum of the ball game. And you know, all of State's touchdowns came in the fourth quarter. Well, that's not enough. We've talked about you know inconsistency and slow starts and that kind of stuff. So um, I'll start with the big picture thoughts on that battle for the golden egg, BGE, and then work my way back to a couple of specifics for you. You know, overall, if you'd told a lot of people coming into the game that State's defense would hold them to under 400 total yards of offense, you'd have thought, oh, we got a great chance to win that game. (laughs) Great chance to win the game. We're going to hold, you know, that offense – under 400 yards, they're like averaging 500 a game. We're going to hold them under 400. Well, then you would think that means you get a great chance to win the ball game. But it's not just about yards. The most important stat is the points. And so you go, well, there's 31 points on the board that the defense allowed. And I don't care who you are, it's hard to win. Uh, it's hard to win any game in the SEC when you allow 31 points. It's just hard to do it. Now, it's not impossible. You still expect to win it. It's just really hard. You know, you got to go out there and hold people under 30 and give yourself a much better chance to to win the ball game, right? And so when, when you look at what the defense allowed, touchdown drives that um, included some short ones in there too and created a turnover at the end. You know, State's defense did get one three and out in the third quarter. That was big. But, you know, the you give up touchdown drives of 16 plays, 7 plays, 14 plays, and 6. Okay. So, and then, and then the yardage, if you look at um, late in the game, fourth quarter, one of those touchdown drives started on the Mississippi State side of the field. But the others – started on the opposition side of the field. Okay, so at the Mississippi 39, they had to go 61 yards. You know, a touchdown drive that started at the Mississippi 18, they had to go 82 yards. Another touchdown drive that started at their 22, they had to go 78 yards. So the point being that there was very much an up-and-down nature to the ball game, I felt like. Because, you know, you start the game defensively by getting a stop on fourth down. You know, you you give up a 59-yard drive, hold them to a field goal. You know, you force a punt after they ran, got a first down or two, you know, you force a punt. Your defense is doing well. And then uh, their next two possessions go touchdown, touchdown, where, yeah, your offense didn't stick it in at the end of the half and at the beginning of the first of the third quarter, but defensively it kind of slipped away from you a little bit too. And, you know, the other thing was defensively giving up 159 yards rushing. It'd be 
holding the opponent below their average, but the 159 is a little above our average of what we normally give up on the ground. And, you know, while there was uh, 229 yards in the air, you know, still was their ability to run the ball in the end zone, right? I mean, they come away with three rushing touchdowns. And, and that was kind of theirs. And I felt like, too, their quarterback, Corral, you know, he didn't have a huge game running the ball. He did have a touchdown run, but just 45 yards rushing on 12 carries. But he had some key escapes, and and uh, he had a knack for knowing when to get out of there. You know, a good sort of ahead of schedule anticipation of when to get out and wh- and where to get out of the pocket. So, and he had some big runs there. So I guess what I'm saying is defensively, there was so much of it that was good enough, but the 31 point, you know, giving up 31 on the scoreboard really isn't good enough. And and I don't know how you balance those two things out. And I, I think the one thing in between, like if you go, I got two hands here, and on one hand is the good, where you, you give up less than 400 yards, only 159. You don't allow a 100-yard rusher in the ball game for the other team that they really run it well. Those are all those are all good things. But on the other hand over here is the bad, the 31 points. So what's the link there in between? And I think it's third downs is that Mississippi was able to go 11 of 18 on third down. And to me that's an incredible number especially when you consider that um they were not a very good third down team throughout the year. You know, they went for it a lot on fourth downs and that kind of covered it up some, but they did not have, a, they weren't a great third down conversion team over the course of the whole year. And to come in there against State's defense and, and convert 11 of 18 third downs at 61%, that to me is sort of the number. There it is right there. That's, that's why. You know, there was a lot of good throughout the ball game, but they had they were able to have one 16-play scoring drive and another 14-play scoring drive, both of which took over five minutes off the clock. And so those kinds of things. I think the third down defense on the night was the sore spot and why, in spite of a lot of other good things, you gave up the 31 points and you lose the time of possession. And and when States won games, they've limited the other team's third downs and they've won the time of possession. And in this one, State actually trailed at the end of the ballgame in in time of possession by about, well, less than a minute, but still normally that's something they win handily. So that's defense. And then on the offensive side in the ballgame, you know, the drops before half really did stand out to me. And I know the coaching staff, you know, they're not going to make a big deal out of one little sequence in the game because you run so many other plays. You know, State ran 80 plays in the game overall, so you're not going to point to just three that win or lose the ball game, regardless of what happens, and that's true. But when you consider momentum, you consider that, you know, the defense in the first half held them to 10 points, you're down 10-6 to six and about to punch it in to score right before halftime with a drive to take the lead at home. That, to me, momentum is big enough to propel you to a win. 
I mean, it really is. And when you you catch that ball and walk in, you take a halftime lead, and you're getting the ball to start the second half, momentum in your favor, you send some serious doubt. But I, I also kind of feel like in games like this, when you have not just one drop on you know a wide-open touchdown, but when you have three, three consecutive plays and three consecutive drops, I just think it deflated the balloon. You know, where whether – it's supposed to or not, I think the reality is it did. I think it took the air out of the stadium. I think it took the air out of the team. And I think it gave the opponent some confidence that, you know what, that's such an odd thing to happen right there. This is our night. When you see that kind of stuff happen, it's just going to go our way. And I think that's what happened. I think that's how important those drops were. Now, the other thing to me is kind of felt like offensively, a couple of your worst home games, maybe maybe your two worst home games offensively all year, were Alabama and the uh, battle for the egg. These two games, and that's the only two games where you had, uh, you know, sort of a rash of drops. You remember in the Alabama game, there were three different slant passes that hit guys in the hands they didn't catch. You didn't see those drops throughout the rest of the year, and the kind of drops you had before half in this game. You also didn't see those at any other time of the year. And I think probably what you have is a young football team and young players who who want to get it done so bad that this idea of pressing starts to come in there. You, you want to actually kind of get out over your skis a little bit. You just got to settle in and just do your job. But, you know, and maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Um, but I think it could be part of it. So offensively, you know, 420 total yards of offense. And State was not very good on third downs, 4 of 14. So third downs in red zone went against State. State's offense in the five games leading up to that last game, had been, State's red zone had been really good and really good at scoring touchdowns. And in this one, you weren't. You got in the red zone – six times you only scored four of the six but only two of the six in the red zone were touchdowns and there's your difference in the ball game um i mean again it's scoring right so we go back to defense giving up rushing touchdowns and state offensively not getting touchdowns in red red zone trips so there's another one you circle right there is for instance, uh, they were in the red zone five times, and four of the five they scored touchdowns. Three times they ran it in, one time they threw it. Four of five trips in the red zone produced touchdowns for the opponent. Two of six trips into the red zone produced touchdowns for us. And there's your difference in the ball game. So I go back to the overall. It's hard to win an SEC game when you give up 31 points. You can, but it's tough. And it's really hard to win an SEC game when you only score 21 points. You, it's possible, but it's really tough, especially against good teams. And so you just didn't play well enough. That's all it is to it. You just did not play nearly a good enough ball game. You didn't make the plays. You didn't make the stops. And that's what it takes. And I think the silver lining there is that as we get into the talk about the overall season – State was a team not relying on older players. They just weren't. They had a few. They certainly aren't relying on them. 
and next year's roster will prove that. And a lot of other teams, um, including some of the ones who had good seasons, they're very much relying on older players, lots of seniors, lots of fourth and fifth year guys. State just didn't have that advantage. Um, they were relying on a lot of first and second year guys. And I think that probably led to some of the inconsistency uh, when it was all said and done. All right, let's flip it in just kind of thoughts on the whole season now. What were your expectations at the beginning of the year? You know, they finished, State finishes fourth in the West, um, seven and five overall, and four and four in the SEC. So in the Western Division, you had Alabama at seven and one. Their only loss in the in the year was to another division team. Uh, Mississippi goes six and two in the conference, and then Arkansas State and A and M all go four and four. And at the bottom of the West, you had Auburn and LSU at three and five. You know, and to put those in perspective, Auburn and LSU at three and five in the SEC. That's the same thing that Missouri and South Carolina did. Is went three and five in the SEC. Now, three and five against the West is a little better than three and five against the East, but still kind of shows you, right? So you're sitting there at four and four and uh, seven and five overall. And, you know, as I look at it, I I feel like everything about this year was right on track with what you had hoped it would be, minus not closing a couple of games out that you really – did have a great chance to win, which you actually had better teams and just didn't close the games out, probably because of your youth and inexperience and everything else, and and a few weird things happening. And I'm talking about the Memphis and LSU games. When you look at those two ball games, and one of them really weird circumstance didn't play well, really weird weird circumstances. But even when you don't play well, you still should beat Memphis. And then the LSU game at home where. Um, you didn't play well. You turned it over, and and at the end you had some weird stuff where they scored on some quirky type plays, and it was a really close ball game. So those are your what ifs for the year, and you're talking about the difference in two games, which is a difference in seven wins versus nine, and four in the conference versus five in the conference, which is a big difference, okay, for a second year coach and second year overhaul. But um, but still, you you know, I don't necessarily spend a lot of time thinking about the what-ifs and the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. It's either you do or you don't. Okay, so where are you? You're at 7-5. You accomplished the comeback in the season opener that was unlikely. That was one of those wipe-your-brow, you know, avoiding disaster moments. You accomplished some other things like uh, beating a bunch of really good teams. You know, State, NC State's a top 25 team. State didn't just beat them. They just controlled them the whole game. Um, Kentucky, they got Kentucky as a top 25 team. Well, I got news for you. State's a lot better than Kentucky. Proved it when they played them. State could play Kentucky, in my opinion, 10 times, and State's going to beat them 10 times. So they can rank them in the top 25 all they want. They probably have earned that with their record. But State's a better team, faster, more explosive, more physical. Go watch the game. There's just no question. Um, State beat Texas A&M at Texas A&M this year, and that was a heck of a ball game, and they were aided by A&M missed some throws, and you can go, well, A&M's got a lot better players. They recruited a higher level. Yeah, well, they went 4-4 and in the league also, and they were very up and down, and by the end of the year, 
defensive team, defensive coordinators had really started to figure A and M out, had really pinpointed what they couldn't do, including they couldn't check at the line, they couldn't get into better plays, just running what they called, and defenses were just teeing off on A and M by the end of the year. So I'm telling you, I'm confident in saying if those two teams played each other right now, especially away from Kyle Field, State would beat them again. And <laughs> watch the tape, and I think. Everybody agrees with that. So with that being said, there's some a lot of good there in the overall part of the year. They definitely took a step forward on offense. Uh, I felt like took a step forward on defense in some ways. But, you know, special teams bad throughout the year and just an inconsistent nature really in all your phases. You know, you could look at the inconsistency on defense in the last game. You could look at the inconsistency on offense and – some of the early games, and then a great stretch in the middle of the year. Well, then more inconsistency in the last game. And I know we still have the bowl game to go. But overall, with as young a team as you have going through, just a total overhaul, uh, I think they're on track. I think State's on track with where they need to be and kind of maybe where they want to be. You know, um, And here's what I mean by that. I think context is important. You know, yes – there are other teams who went through coaching changes at the same time as, as State, uh, Arkansas, and um, your friends in the state of Mississippi, you know, the, uh, the team you played in the Egg Bowl, the battle for the Golden Egg. There are other teams that went through those coaching changes. But there were also major differences. We've talked about that for two years. You know, um, you take Arkansas, for example. I've touched on this. Chad Morris, when he was the head coach there, they did a poor job. They weren't a good team. They didn't coach them well, but they did recruit to a spread option offense system. That's what they were recruiting to. And so when the coaching change happens, Sam Pittman comes in and he brings in Kendall Bryles, and what do they run? A spread option offense. I mean, it, it a player group was there, recruited to that school, to the same type of office, offensive system that they wound up coming in and running, just different guys running it. Um, you look at Mississippi. Kiffin comes in there, and he can he's a coach who can kind of mix and match and coach to what he has. He doesn't have you know, an all-out run or an all-out pass philosophy. It's more of the RPO spread option offense, right? Well, again, you come into a team with a lot of veteran players, older guys already on the roster, including a quarterback who they were all recruited to similar type systems. Um, they were recruited from similar type systems, and that's important. Um, whereas State, they, they did something different, a little more drastic. They were going from a program that for more than a decade had been a run-the-football program. They had not been a passing team. Uh, in the nine years of Mullen, there were only two years where they threw the ball very well or very much, and that was Tyler Russell in 12 and Dak Prescott senior year in 15. The rest of the time, it's run, 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 run. Two years of Moorhead where they could not throw the ball. Just couldn't throw it. And you're going to go from all of that to not just the passing system, but the air raid under Mike Leach. I mean, it's just you couldn't make a more drastic switch offensively and and something that you just hadn't recruited to. It hadn't been recruited to. And that's receivers and throwers and pass protectors. And, you know, it's a certain skill set. So they had a steeper hill to climb. And it really showed in year one with no spring and no fall to get ready for it that they 
they ran up against defenses who just, you know, shut certain things down and and the state was trying to fight through it and had a harder hard time. And you come into year two and uh, they really made a jump offensively. You could start to see it and had you could call it recruiting, but you hit the transfer portal and bring in a Makai Polk and guys like that, you know, and a, and a couple of recruits on offense to to kind of shore up the receiving core. Um, I, I just think that they're on track. And the last thing I'll say is you had senior night the other night uh, at, at the beginning of the battle for the golden egg and players, the seniors who are departing, they come running out with flowers to give to their family. And then they huddle up for a picture and there's only like eight or nine of them. I don't remember the exact number, but it was, I think it might've even been single digits it's like eight or nine guys, and and almost none of them you were actually relying on. There were a couple, uh, I guess, like you know, you take Scott Lashley for instance. He he's somebody you rely on, but that's about it in that group of older guys. And it just really struck you that yeah, okay, you're going to lose some underclassmen. Charles Cross will be a first rounder. Emerson's going to go in the draft. Those are young guys who aren't seniors. But when you just see such a small number of departing seniors, it really paints a picture that that's a team that they're just relying on younger players. They're not in, they hadn't been in a position where they could rely on 23 and 24 year old guys, 22 and 23, maybe I should say, but some older with the COVID year, you know, offensively in your skill positions, you're relying on all first and second year players. Um, outside of Austin Williams and Malik Heath, you know, and Austin, is a reliable guy for you, but everybody else touching the football and all your touchdowns. I mean, that that number this year that they put out that you had, I think it was 48 touchdowns this year on offense, and every one of them was either thrown by, run by, caught by, or returned by a freshman or sophomore. It's one of those involved in every touchdown you had, and it's just it just shows you what they were f- fighting against from a youth standpoint as well, which – would absolutely tell you why it was such an up-and-down year um, at times. So I think the future's bright. I think people know that. I think uh, if you were going to get your licks in on this state bunch with Will Rogers and these guys at the front of it, if you're going to get your licks in on them, you better get them in now because over the next couple of years, uh, they're going to return the favor. And I think people around the league know that. Um, And the thing that I think I'm most proud of Two is, yeah, I'm a state fan. I root for them. I want to see them win. And, you know, I'm proud that the hype machine kind of keeps its distance from this team and this program. And I know that a lot of people value that and feel like it pays dividends in recruiting or whatever. Maybe it does for some, but I think around here it's a bad thing. In my opinion, anytime the hype machine has come around, it didn't work out. And I don't want it around. I'd rather the hype machine be elsewhere and and jockey with other people's expectations, but not mine. And every pat on the back or any recognition or anything that this state bunch has gotten or will get, they're going to earn it. And I would say beware of that because also you're going to get into next year. And in the preseason next year, a lot of people are going to start talking about Will Rogers and Makai Polk and Jaden Wally and and this team. But just remember that I told you 
The hype machine is never a good thing, ultimately. Reality is a good thing. And what you want to do is you want to earn everything in reality and not be given anything, including hype. Just remember I told you. All right, thanks for listening to the Better Than Average podcast. That's it for this one. I'll be back in a couple of days or a couple, maybe another week after we learn a bowl destination, and we'll start previewing that and learning about opponents and looking forward to it. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, let's have a great December together. Talk to you soon.